Rinkwide Vancouver. Well, the effort was a whole lot better than Monday in Minnesota. Unfortunately for the Vancouver Canucks, the result was the same. They fall 3-1 to the Colorado Avalanche in Denver, and that is three straight losses for the Vancouver Canucks for the first time all season. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. We're coming to you remotely. Usually, we're in our studio in the lower lobby of the Wall Center Hotel. If you're looking for meeting or conference space in downtown Vancouver, the Wall Center offers 30 unique event rooms, from small conference rooms to the grand ballroom to the constellation floor, 34 stories above the city with incredible views and an outdoor patio space. Consider the Wall Center for all of your conference and event needs. Email them, sales at wallcenter.com. Jeff Patterson joined on this episode by Farhan Lalji of TSN. We joked last week when you did the Blackhawks game that you get all the big events a couple of days after Super Bowl. Well, this one's certainly a marquee matchup, Farhan, and give the Canucks credit. Uh, they were a much better structured systems team than they were on Monday in Minnesota. Unfortunately, they were taking on one of the top teams in the National Hockey League in the Colorado Avalanche, a team that barely ever loses at home. 13-1 and in their last 14 now at Ball Arena. And once the Avs got that second goal, uh, the Canucks had to match. They came close. They had chances, but uh, in the end, they couldn't get the offense they needed to get something out of this hockey game. Yeah, look, they, they did a lot right. And quite frankly, I thought five on five, they did a lot right against Minnesota and, and even the Jets for that matter. You know, in this game, it, it felt at times, especially early on, that the Avs were certainly out skating the Canucks. Uh, Vancouver did get back in it and, you know, and they did have some high pressure shifts and, you know, it turned into the even game that we would have expected from these two teams, you know, and, and, you always wonder in a game like this where you've got back-to-back games and then you're playing at altitude that, you know, how are things going to go for the team in the third period? I thought the Canucks acquitted themselves well. Some of that is score effects because, you know, Colorado is going to try to defend a little bit more. And, and Vancouver did have their share of scoring chances in this game. They had more high-danger scoring chances than Colorado did. Uh, you know, the control the Corsi battle, all of that. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they had some some big time chances that they just couldn't bury, right? And whether it's Nils Hoaglander getting robbed or Philip Ronick in the third period getting blocked or or what have you, they just couldn't find a way to get it done. And, you know, look, we we generally don't play predictions here, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna come clean on this one because you and I talked after the Jets game and I, I just threw it out there. It was just it was nothing in the way of reporting or anything. It was just a pure gut feeling. I said, look, they're gonna go on this trip. And they're going to go 0-2-1. And, and we're going to see massive panic in Canuck Nation because it'll be four straight losses uh, if that's how the scoring goes. And then they're going to come back and win a close, intense game on Saturday against Boston. And all's going to be right in the world. So, so far, I'm doing okay because they've got the 0-2 part down. But it, look, the, this team was going to run into some adversity at some point. That's certainly what Rick Tockett has talked about all the way through. How do we respond to that? And I just don't think you can watch tonight's game and say that the Canucks responded poorly. I thought they did a lot right. They did. And obviously one of the big storylines was the local kid, Archie Baines, making his NHL debut. We will get to his night on ice. Unfortunately for him and the Canucks, it was another local guy. It was Ryan Johansson. Yeah. You know, isn't the player that he was uh, even a couple of years ago, but he scores twice, including the winner, goals 12 and 13 on the season. And so Port Moody represented here a little bit more than than Surrey, but uh, it was great to see Archie Bain's dream come true and to get into the lineup with his dad there on this mentor's trip. But before we get to individual stories, I mean, let's just go back and revisit a couple of those chances that you mentioned. And ultimately, and this has been a little bit too much of the story since the All-Star break, the Canucks worked hard to get a power play in a 2-1 hockey game with six minutes to go, and they generated one shot. One shot on goal. The top unit stayed out for all two minutes. They worked the puck around the perimeter. We're seeing way too much of that Farhan. Uh, yeah, they got a power play goal yesterday in Minnesota. JT Miller with a shot and Brock Besser taking the eyes of the goaltender away. But here it was just pass it around the perimeter, pass it around the perimeter. And the only shot they got was Elias Pettersson. Like it was there on a platter for them. That power play had to come through and it didn't. And again, I think it's one for 24 now. Uh, over the last uh, eight hockey games. I mean, they're better than that. The component parts are too good for this power play to be one for its last 24. And to get that one opportunity they were looking for and only generate one shot, I think that's a little frustrating. Yeah, it has to be. You know, and you look at Colorado, the first two power plays, they were 
Like, I can't believe they didn't score. They had so many good looks. The second one, they got five shots. They were tossing it all over the ice. And then you look at the Canucks, and their power play was a little more static. Uh, in On the second power play that they had, less than a minute in, they just changed and went to the second unit because the first unit had nothing going. They were better in the first opportunity. They were better on the third as well, right? But when you look at actual shots, it was Pedersen taking it to the net and then, uh, you know, a bunch of guys jamming at the puck on a scramble in front of the net. And then even when they were compressing and getting down closer to the, get, you know, not and not spreading out as much as they were maybe in the early power plays, it still didn't lead to any shots. And they, it seemed like there were some shooting lanes at times and they just weren't taking them. And the few times they did, they would either miss or get blocked. So, yeah, it's, it's tough to watch, right? Because, you know, to me, early in the year when this team was having success with their power play, I was just so impressed with how well they moved and how many different looks they threw on any given power play, not over the course of a game, but in a, in a two minute stretch, you would see different guys at the point, guys crossing over to different sides of the ice, just constant movement. And we're just not seeing that right now. Right. So, so you're right. I mean, they had that opportunity, um, you know, shots were tied at that point, 23, 23. And, and all it was, was that one moment where Pedersen drove the net and that was it, right. There, there was just nothing, no follow-up. You know, Canucks dominated in the faceoffs, even on the power play. So they had, they, they were able to get possession off offensive dro- zone draws. Uh, I, you know, I thought their entries were okay when they were kind of take have, having to take it up ice. But yeah, just, you know, A, they don't generate enough. And, and B, it, it's just, I don't know, it's not there. Hey, what do you make of the uh, JT Miller penalty? Like people on, on my social feeds were losing their mind. And I get that his glove is what made contact, but his stick was up. Like, if you're the referee, you know, and you just see, you have one shot at looking at it, it's not hard to see why a referee would have thought that that was a penalty. Were you as offended by it as somebody, some of the others were? No, I mean, it's a sensitive issue right now, given what happened in Minnesota, the fact that Canucks... Yeah, but there was one bad penalty. There was one bad penalty in the Minnesota game, right? It was. I know, but I'm tracking this back to Winnipeg as well. Like, we're just right now... And again, I think it also goes hand-in-hand hand with the fact that the team's on its first three-game losing streak, and there is some frustration in the market. I thought Jack Johnson snapped his head back. I do, too. It was weird, because his stick was kind of turned around, his glove was there, but I thought through it all, Jack Johnson's a veteran, this guy's been around the block a couple of times... And refs get one look at it in real time, and they react to a guy snapping his head back. And unfortunately, he sells the call there. So JT didn't like it. The Mike's got that and, and picked that part up. That didn't kill the Canucks. They were able to kill that off. The penalty killing was perfect on the night. They go three for three, despite the fact that Colorado had nine nine shots on goal. Nathan McKinnon is incredible. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Ten shots on 12 attempts. Now, again, I think this is part of the frustration for the Canucks is they hold Nathan McKinnon off the score sheet until there's 28 seconds to go and he gets an assist on an empty netter. So, you know, not a factor in terms of torturing the Canucks offensively. And it looked like they may hold him at bay entirely, something that has not happened on home ice for McKinnon all season long. So he does extend that streak, but Kale McCarr doesn't get a point. You know, you're the Canucks and you hold McKinnon to an empty net assist and McCarr off the score sheet, opportunity knocking there. And again, they could only muster the one goal. And I think the Canucks have good wins this season. We've mentioned this a lot of times on, on Rink Wide. There is an element of the fan base that says, who have they beaten? And I counter with the Rangers at Madison Square. They swept Florida. They swept Carolina. They've beaten Dallas, uh, beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. They've had a lot of good wins. But the fact remains... They lost to Vegas in their only meeting with Vegas. They lost to Boston, got shut out by Boston in their only meeting with Boston. And they're now 0 for 2 against the Colorado Avalanche. And so I do understand the people that say, like, show me that signature victory for the Vancouver Canucks. I would still hold up the win at Madison Square against the Rangers because they were dominant uh, in that hockey game. But that was, what, six weeks ago? Like, uh, you know, it would be nice for the Vancouver Canucks to rise to the occasion and beat one of these teams around them at the top of the Western Conference standings and uh, you know, they got a win over Dallas and it was a good win early in the season, but uh, they'll get one more crack at Colorado. The Avs will be in Vancouver for their lone visit. Uh, Boston, as you mentioned, is here at the end of the week and they still have a handful of games against Vegas. So they've got opportunities still ahead of them, but uh, this one just felt like an opportunity that slipped away because it wasn't the Avs top guns that absolutely 
crush the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. You know, and I, I thought Thatcher Demko did some really good things for this team. I, I don't know that you would have characterized it as a steal uh, had Vancouver won the game, but I, I thought there were some key moments, especially early in this game. Some of the saves he made, including one off McKinnon, who took a beautiful feed uh, behind oh, yeah. uh, behind Noah Juleson off of, I think it was Rantanen who made the pass, and right on a stick, and, you know, and Demko makes a good save. There was, a bu- there was, I think, three saves early on in the first maybe four minutes when it really looked like the Canucks didn't have their legs uh, coming uh, in on the second end of a back-to-back here. And I think they needed Thatcher Demko to kind of just settle them, which he did, and they did, right? So he played well. I mean, you know, people are going to look at Casey DeSmith in the game yesterday and, and kind of wonder what that would have looked like if Demko would have played. Well, Demko did play tonight. Demko did his part tonight. And, you know, then it, uh, yeah, so so like you say, between Colorado's two biggest guns not really being a factor and them getting the goaltending they wanted, yeah, this was an opportunity lost. But you can go back to any of these three games and really say the same thing, right? And they've won games earlier this year where maybe they weren't the better team, but, you know, shooting percentage did them a favor and and they found ways to win games. And look, 82 games, man. Like, I'm not going to panic around this team. I think they've done so much well. They put so much money in the bank that you can afford to go on one of these. Now, you can't continue it for forever here. <laughs> You're going to play a Seattle team that is really, really hungry. Every point matters for them as they try to get into the playoffs. You know, and I think this team is definitely not about moral victories. I think they've proven that, right, for for a while now. They're not willing to settle for being at that end of the conversation. But, I, like, I, I just don't think their process is horrible. I, I just don't. I just think this is 82 games. At some point, things are going to even out. I think you have to look at it as this was their 58th game of the season. They have lost three in a row for the first time. Like, that is astounding. Mm. Every other team, they're the last team in the NHL to lose three in a row. So I think you have to applaud them for that part of it. Now, in saying that, they do have three wins in their last eight hockey games. This is sort of the roughest stretch that they have had over their 58 games. Back in November, when they alternated wins and losses, we all wondered how are they going to pull out of it, and they pulled out of it with an incredible run. You know, do they have that in their bag of tricks? Maybe. I don't think the schedule coming up is going to allow for that kind of run. Fair enough. Yep. But I just, you know, I I think it is worth noting that they have three wins now in their last eight hockey games. At that pace, they are going to invite some of these other teams back into three. The Oilers have six games in hand. Somehow the Oilers have six games in hand on the Vancouver Canucks. We're past the midway mark of February. Now, that's a double-edged sword. The Oilers can look at that and say, hey, we've got all these games in hand. You also have a bunch of games that you have to play where the Canucks have a far more spread out schedule. They got that nine game homestand coming up in the month of March. So games in hand are great uh, if you make the most of them. And that's the challenge now for the Edmonton Oilers. But it is just wild to look and see that the Vancouver Canucks have played six more games than the Edmonton Oilers after this one. A 3-1 loss to the Colorado Avalanche in Denver. The Canucks are 37-15-6. They remain stuck on 80 points and uh, they will win again. But uh, yeah, first three-game losing streak. And the other thing, too, this is incredible. This is Thatcher Demko's first set of back-to-back losses since games three and four of the season in Philadelphia and in Tampa Bay. That's the only other time that he has lost consecutive starts. So he's done his job without a doubt. And he did his job in this one. I agree. I mean, particularly in the power play, the fact that he kept this Colorado team at bay. It was a good matchup of goaltenders. Uh, Georgiev gets to 30 wins. He matches Demko there. Uh, so they're the two 30-win goaltenders in the National Hockey League. But uh, I, I just thought Thatcher Demko, uh, he looked confident. The team feeds off that, especially after uh, the meltdown in Minnesota on Monday afternoon. And so this was there for the taking. Still not sure what Philip Ronick was thinking, winding up at the slap shot and just trying to drill it through the avalanche and into uh, the unguarded net when it looked like a quick snapshot may have been more effective. Whatever the case, uh, give our territory lacking in some credit because uh, he stepped in front of that and uh, that was a bold play there and then that was one of the turning points in this hockey game like that was it looked like the tying goal on the stick of Philip Hironik and what a wild sequence that was uh, for the Canucks to dig the puck out of traffic Hughes back to Hironik and, and Hironik with the one-timer you know you mentioned uh, Patterson to Lindholm at the side of the net and then Hoaglander swooped in there he had that opportunity uh, so close calls all around Teddy Bluger set up beautifully by Arshdeep Baines, mm-hmm. and, and let's get into Arshdeep's debut. Again, I love the fact that his dad was there to see it as part of the mentor's trip. Uh, plays 13 minutes and 21 seconds on the night. Two shots on goal, three hits. 
Takes a penalty in the first period, but the Canucks able to, to dodge that bullet. Now, he was on the ice for two of the goals. I'm not sure that he was necessarily responsible for them, but the first two Colorado goals, he and his line mates uh, were out there. But I thought, uh, you know, the stage certainly didn't look too big for him. Again, going up against generational players on the other side, out there for the opening faceoff against McKinnon and McCarr. Uh, when, like, and, and look, Jared Bednar's a veteran coach now. Uh, I don't blame him, but he was trying to make the most of that mismatch and tried to get McKinnon and his line out against this rookie. Like, Archdeep Baines saw more of Kale McCarr and Devon Taves and Nathan McKinnon than any other Colorado Avalanche. Like, what an incredible debut for him just in terms of the quality of opponent. But I liked a lot of what I saw from him. Yeah, me too, right? I mean, and and I like the fact that he didn't get buried onto a fourth line. That third line spot playing alongside Connor Garland and Teddy Bluger, that's a plum assignment these days. And that's where he spent most of his shifts. He played 20 shifts in this game. J-Pat, at 13-21, yep. I mean, you look at the guys in the fourth line that were hovering under seven minutes. This kid got an opportunity. We saw him before the penalty, uh, before the Ian Cole penalty late in the game. And then I don't know if he got a shift after that because it was a minute and a half left. So it was the big guns at that point. But he played late at meaningful moments in this game. And yeah, you're right. The game didn't look too big for him. Uh, you know, did some good work down low before setting a Bluger on that play. Um, there were some steals he had in the offensive end. Uh just wasn't afraid to mix it up along the wall. Like there were a lot of different things that he did. You know, the penalty was a tough one, right? Um, yep. Kind of got caught reaching a little bit, but you know, they also sold it in that moment. I, I look, I think he did well. Now we don't know if we're going to see him again. Right. Um, but uh, it looks like he's going to be around here for a little bit, at least until they make a decision on Phil Kessel or Dakota Joshua gets healthy. One of the two. So, you know, he might, he might get a little bit of run. You never know. Right. And, um, again, great that his dad was involved in, you know, and look for, um, for, for people of that ethnicity, uh, yeah. it's, it's a cool thing. Like it, it just is, man. I, I can't, I can't say it enough. Just people that I had a chance to talk to today and interact with on X and, and on other platforms, people were really proud. And, and for me, look, I, I just think it's a great story. I, I think the fact that this guy was not drafted into the Western Hockey League, winds up leading the WHL in scoring, doesn't get drafted into the NHL, signs with his hometown team, and now he's here. Uh, I think that in and of itself is a fantastic story. But, you know, for the other side of it, I mean, the Indo-Canadian community loves this hockey team. Like, they love this hockey team. Scott Rhodes-Sellies is going to be as important. <laughs> like, yeah. that's going to be as much yeah. of a focal point as anything that happens down at Rogers Arena, right? They are fully invested. The Diwali celebration is, is a big deal. And, you know... Look, I can say it in, in our industry and every, everything else, like representation matters. It, it, sure it absolutely, absolutely matters. So yep. for a huge percentage of legitimate, hardcore, beloved sports fans, Canucks fans, and, you know, like I said, it it felt today like we were all Canucks. You, you know, it, it's, um, yeah, just just so much there. And you could, you could see his dad, the picture, few pictures that we saw, he looked very, very serious and very, very stoic. But you have to believe that there was some level of emotion in all of that when he saw his son first take to the ice and, you know, just so many people cheering for this kid. So just a great story, both as a hockey player, showing a level of perseverance that any young person, regardless of ethnicity, can absolutely get behind that. Right when you think the system has passed you by and you didn't have an opportunity, but you loved it so much, you just kept chopping wood, and this kid did that. So uh, it was it was great to see from that end. But you know, as a player, with the amount of ice he got, um, you know, good for Rick Tockett for trusting him, and uh, and and good for the kid. Like it wasn't too big for him. Yeah, I mean, he got the solo lap that uh, all rookies do, but then he gets the opening faceoff that we talked about, and I thought there was a nice moment there. Referee Kyle Raymond, a veteran guy, uh, I think he recognized, and just before the puck dropped, you could see he was chatting with the uh, Archdeep Baines before he moved in to drop the puck at, at center ice, and be curious to know what the referee would say, probably just welcoming him to the National Hockey League. Yeah. But, uh, you know, outside of the penalty in the first period, like, he had that shot where he walked off the right wall and cut to the front of the net. That was his first shot on goal, and then had that rush chance with Brock Besser that kind of got interrupted, but then stuck with it and bunted the puck out of mid. Like, sure. would have been incredible had that that one found its way into the net. So, you know, and then I looked through my notes, like late in the second period, some good work down low, puck possession and spins off a check to set up Teddy Bluger. And then again, in the third period, set up Teddy Bluger. Look, Teddy Bluger's been a nice story. That line has been terrific. But when you see Teddy Bluger get those kinds of opportunities and can't convert, 
like every time a guy signs, the question's always asked, you know, do you think you have more offense to give? And of course, every guy says, yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure he does. Right. He's looking like a five goal scorer who hasn't scored 20 games now, uh, scored the first game after Christmas against Philadelphia. Uh, and so it's good that he's getting those chances. But on a night like this where they needed another goal, uh, it would have been nicer if somebody else perhaps had had those opportunities. But just back to Baines for a sec, like. You know, if he gets a chance to play in Seattle, and I think he certainly has earned that opportunity. I mean, lots of people, probably lots of fa- family and friends can make the trek down the I-5 to see him. So cool moment for him there. And look, he led the Vancouver Canucks. You know, this wasn't a physical game. This was more of a track meet back and forth. Neither one of these teams is, you know, built to drive you through the end boards. But uh, R.C. Baines led all Canucks with three hits in this hockey game. So getting involved physically. And, you know, that's part of his game, like, you know, big scorer and junior, but he knew that to be a pro and make a living at this and get a chance in the NHL was going to have to adjust and adapt and tweak his game a little bit. And so, you know, it's just all about uh, never quitting, motor always running. And I think we saw a lot of that. And so credit to him for leading the Vancouver Canucks with three hits on top of the two shots and a, and a block shot. Well, and listen, on top of that, when you look at how little, I mean, you know, Ilya Mikheyev is probably singularly responsible for that goal, the first goal, right? Like gets gets the play and just fires it um, to nobody. And all of a sudden, a, a couple seconds later, you, it winds up in the back of their net uh, after the, the shot hits the end boards and Johansson is right there for it. So given what he isn't doing, given what, you know, Nils Oman and Phil DiGiuseppe aren't doing, why wouldn't you continue to play him on the third line? Why wouldn't you? Because he was so noticeable given the amount of ice time he got that, you know, and Sam Lafferty hasn't uh, set the world on fire. I mean, if it's me, I'm probably going to park, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to park Mikheyev on Thursday night and bring Lafferty back in the lineup. But why would you take Baines off the third line? He, he absolutely acquitted himself well. Right. Like Sam Lafferty was scratched on those back-to-back games in Detroit and Washington not that long ago. So, you know, this wasn't the first time for him. And I don't think he could look himself in the mirror and say, like, I absolutely deserve to be in there on a nightly basis right now. He was a nice story early on, but he's gone quiet. Di Giuseppe's gone quiet. I mean, the fourth line that they had with Di Giuseppe, Amon, and uh, Mikheyev tonight, not a single one of those guys has scored a goal since Christmas. And I know it's wow. not all about goal scoring, but wow. one of the reasons this team had success was that it was getting contributions from lower in the lineup. But guess what? Nils Hoaglander now plays higher in the lineup. And so you're sort of seeing when you take a piece from there and move it up, you know, early in the season, Phil Giuseppe started in the top six and they were able to get by without his offensive contributions because they were getting goals from all over the place. But now the goals aren't as frequent and they're getting next to nothing from their bottom, you know, their fourth line. And obviously Joshua's out of the lineup right now. And, uh, you know, that's kind of hurting that third line in terms of its production uh, at the very least. So, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons that, as we said, three, four, and one in their last eight games. It's not terrible, but it is three wins in the last eight hockey games. And so if they wanted to sit Ilya Mikheyev for a game, I mean, it's 25 now without a goal, one in 29. Come on. You, like, there has to, if you're not scoring, you can't be turning pucks over the way that he did. Well, and, and uh, Baines, on that is, goal. Baines was scoring in the American Hockey League, and I understand that it's different. Yep. But right now, he's got a bit of a goal scorer's mentality that once he could potentially get a couple of games in, I mean, the best, Joshua did so many things well. And you know me, in my opinion, this guy's a future top six power forward in the National Hockey League. Of all these guys on one year deals, like they need to sign that guy. But he, he showed tremendous hands around the net and scored scored some goal scorers goals right now you know I, I think Baines must have set a Bluger at least three times for high-end scoring chances and he couldn't finish maybe Baines can turn into a finisher on that line because he yeah. he is right now based on what he's done in the HL he's got to have some ha- some confidence offensively around the net right now he's trying to keep things simple and you know know your role as it is right and and do those little things that are going to endear him to the head coach but at some point you know, he's going to get that opportunity to score, and I think he's going to be able to, and certainly he's going to be able to at a pretty equal level to what those fourth-line guys and Bluger are currently doing. Uh, not often that we get this deep into a post-game podcast and names like JT Miller and Quinn Hughes and Brock Besser uh, don't even come up, but let's just take a second and appreciate that opening goal. I mean, Hughes with the breakout pass, Besser shows the nice hands, and uh, Miller, he's on a heater since the All-Star break now. That's his seventh goal coming out of the All-Star break. Only Austin Matthews 
uh, has more, and that's not a surprise because Austin Matthews uh, just feels unstoppable these days. But but JT Miller's not far behind with the hat trick in Minnesota and gets the Canucks on the board. And again, another reason for a little bit of disappointment, just that they open the scoring. First goal so often matters, but they couldn't uh, add to it. And it was the only goal uh, that they score. But it was a beautiful goal, just the way that it unfolded. And JT Miller up to 28 now on the season. For Brock Besser, the assist. Uh, career high in points. He was already at a career high in goals, up to 31 uh, after the goal of mini, but uh, 57 points for Brock Besser with still basically a quarter of the season to go. And uh, I thought Quinn Hughes had a, had a had a good night. Like obviously, you're watching McCarr and Hughes, and you know the two premier defensemen in the National Hockey League. Uh, Hughes gets the assist, but snapped one with authority off the crossbar on the power play in the second period. Had another good look later on where I think he was trying to go up high over the shoulder of Georgiev and, and maybe hit him in the mask as well. But I thought Quinn Hughes was dancing, doing what he does inside the blue line, making life miserable for opponents. And I don't know that Quinn's played his best hockey of the season since the All-Star break. I think there have been a few nights here along the way where uh, he just hasn't looked like his super dynamic self, but I thought this was a step in the right direction. Yeah, no, I thought it was. I thought he generated a fair bit. I thought he controlled things in the offensive zone. You know, you put out a tweet before the game about uh, how on the season the Canucks have outscored their opponents 72-40 to 40 with Quinn Hughes on the ice at 5-on-5. Five five. Eight games since the All-Star break, it's just 8-7. to seven. So after tonight, I think that would be 9-9, nine and nine, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so what do we make? Because th- there have been some, some glaring moments to the eye test where Philip Roenick has you know, made bad decisions in his own end of the ice. Uh, and look, we know what this guy can do offensively. As you say, we should have taken a snapshot instead of tried to have the howitzer go uh, at, in that third period chance. But what do we make of how they're controlling play at both ends of the ice? Yeah, I, I, I think, like, look, Winnipeg, I thought, tried to make life difficult on Quinn Hughes. And and of course they're going to. And more teams are going to as well. You got to be able to catch them to hit them. But, you know, as these games get deeper and ultimately you get into the playoffs, absolutely every team's going to have 43 circled on their whiteboard. He's going to be part of their pre-scout. And so it's going to get more difficult on him. But his superpower is that he tilts the ice and he spends so little time in his own zone. And so, you know, he's got to find a way. Like, if teams are starting to adjust to him, then, you know, that's the cat and mouse game. He's got to find ways to adjust and elevate. And he's shown an ability to do that. I have full confidence that he can again. But I just think in the stretch from the All-Star break till now, uh, it's been fairly mediocre by his standards. And so, you know, I don't think they're going to break up Hughes and Horonic. I just think that those guys have to get it together a little bit more, spend less time defending and and get to the attack. And then, you know, that and let their natural instincts take over from there. Yeah. One thing I noticed was there was some up ice pressure when they were on the ice, which you don't normally yep. see with Quinn Hughes. Everybody wants to sag back because you know he's going to be able to beat pressure in his own end. So I saw a bit of that. I saw him getting pressured a little more at the point on the power play. Uh, and, and again, I don't think that's anything he can't handle, but Colorado's got so much more quality, right? That he can't necessarily beat everybody, you know, especially in tight spaces to create more space for himself. So there were times when he was, you know, giving it up a little bit early and, and things like that. But, um, you know, like, I, I don't know that that continues against Seattle uh, in a couple of nights, but uh, this is a high-end Colorado team. They're sitting in third place in the division, or sorry, in the conference. And, um, you know, they are who we think they are, right? Like, they're an elite team. They are, although, and this goes back to what I said earlier, that the disappointment that, look, if McKinnon beats you single-handedly, you tip your hat and you say, this guy is in the running for the heart, they're not nearly as deep as they were when they won the Stanley Cup, right? Like, you know, they had Kadri, they had Burakovsky, they had JT Confer as their sort of next wave of offense, and they don't have those guys. So for them to get two from Ryan Johansson, who came into the night with 11 goals, you know, that's obviously a, a massive bonus, and turns out that uh, he gets the the tying and, and the go-ahead goal that stands up as the winner. So that doesn't happen. It hasn't happened a lot for the Colorado Avalanche. And I do think, now... You know, if you're facing them in a seven-game series, like, oh, what a <laughs> what a brutal assignment trying to stop those guys on a nightly basis. But if you can sort of hold McKinnon and Rantanen and McCarr in check, then I think that there are ways you can get at this Colorado hockey club. But they they didn't hold him in check tonight. Held him off the score sheet, but they did not. Fair enough. Hold I him think in check tonight. 
fair enough with 10 shots. You're right. I mean, he was uh, doing his thing out there and, and that's where you have to give some credit to Thatcher Demko. Uh, we'll get to our rink-wide Vancouver three stars. We'll have the staff that stands out. We'll get a little listener feedback as well. And we'll drop into that Canuck locker room and uh, hopefully hear from Arshdeep Baines after his NHL debut, Rick Tockett, get his thoughts on this one as well. The Canucks uh, will have an off day after the back-to-backs, uh, move on to Seattle with their dads and brothers. It's the mentors trip. Uh, and then take on the Kraken on Thursday night at Climate Pledge Arena. And by the way, the Seattle Kraken, desperate for points right now, lost in overtime to Detroit on Monday afternoon, 7-1-3, one, and three, one outright loss in their last 11 on home ice. So yeah, I mean, this is a sneaky, tough road trip that hasn't started on the best foot for the Vancouver Canucks, but they played well enough, I think, to beat a lot of teams with their performance. Unfortunately, they were facing one of the top teams in the National Hockey League, and they fall 3-1 to the Colorado Avalanche. This is Rink-Wide Vancouver. Vancouver Canucks fall 3-1 to the Colorado Avalanche. Jeff and Farhan here breaking it all down. Rink-wide Vancouver. You're going to hear from Rick Tockett and Arshdeep Baines momentarily. All of our post-game audio here on Rink-wide. A presentation of Mr. Lube, 100% Canadian, pioneers of the no-appointment oil change, and they're now providing tire service and sales with no appointments needed. 16 locations in the lower mainland for one near you. Go to mrlube.com. All right, we know that Rick Tockett wasn't happy with what happened in Minnesota, particularly in the third period, although he did try to find some of the positives in that 10-7 loss. Here is the head coach after a 3-1 setback to the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, I thought we played a good game. We had a bunch of chances just to put them in. It was a well-played game. How about the way you contained particularly McKinnon's line and the defensive effort? Yeah, did a nice job against them. McCarr, you know, those guys are special players. I thought we did a really nice job against them. So, yeah, it was a hard... It's one of those things that we just couldn't score to get the, the equalizer. Oh, there you go. I mean, uh, coach seemed a little happier with the performance. I know that uh, it's all about uh, did you get a win, and they didn't. So he won't like the result ultimately. But I think he can live with his performance knowing that against a lot of opponents, Farhan, they probably get something out of this hockey game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the one thing that impresses me is he seems to know what buttons to push, right? And right now... Um, is probably not the time to panic. So we saw the game yesterday and he talked a lot about what happens in adversity. And there was a lot of bizarre moments that happened in that game, right? And it'd be easy for a team that still scored six goals and knowing they gave up three, five on three goals to say, well, we were really better than them and he wasn't willing to go there. You know, we need to be able to handle adversity. Um, You know, we can't panic at the first sign of problems and compound penalties, all that stuff. Whereas now, you know, this team loses their third straight for the first time all year. And now he's kind of got the velvet glove a little bit. Right. And he, he insists that we played well. And, you know, and we talked about it earlier that, that I think they did. I mean, I'm not convinced, you know, when he talked about, Hey, we did a great job of uh, on McKinnon. I, I don't agree, but I think overall, I, I think this team did a lot of good things and they could have had a better result. And, and I know we're not into almost and moral victories and things like that, but you know, five on five, this probably was the better team in all three of these losses, all three. So at some point before it's going to spiral, you might need to give your team a little bit of a boost and say, it's not all bad. We're doing a lot of good things. And if we stick to our process, the results will turn. And I think that was the message today. Pat on the back, not a kick in the butt. Uh, I think it's important. And and he's been pretty good about sort of recognizing Again, they're 37, 15, and 6. They remain in first place in the overall standings. And it's just wild to think that this team took this long to lose three in a row. Uh, and so that's a credit to them. And we touched on that uh, in that opening segment. The power play, though, is an issue. And, it, you know, Buck stops with him. He's got all these committees that he talks about. And and we know that uh, he's hands-on with this power play. He was asked after the game about, you know, is it just a question of working itself out? Or are they going to have to take a look at uh, doing some different things? Well, the adjustments, you got to, you know, we got we to gotta start to defer and shoot some puck. Instead of defer and shoot the puck, be a little more decisive. Um, you know, get some pucks in the net. I don't think we're getting the pucks in the net, but we got to make sure we start getting pucks in the net. And I agree with him when he says, like, they got to stop deferring and somebody's got to shoot the puck. But it's one thing for him to say that post-game. Like, is he drawing that up on the whiteboard? Because it just doesn't feel like the message is getting through right now. Well, and think of earlier, earlier on this season, the amount of success Quinn Hughes had when he would just take that quick wrist shot. 
from the blue line, yeah. right? Let's just get yeah. it there. And it might sneak its way through or it might get deflected or we might cash in on a rebound or something. And they're not taking that shot right now. They're just kind of hoping, right? Um, you know, you saw the first shot of this game by Colorado from the top and it was just that quick wrist shot from from the blue line, right? And it, it almost eluded Demko, right? So you, you wind up um, trying to overcomplicate things and that's what they're doing right now. Now look, ultimately they only had two opportunities, right? Um, it's yep. not one of those one for six or 0 for six games they only had two opportunities. However, it is part of a, a, a bit of a disturbing t- trend where they they do need to shoot the puck. They do need to simplify the power play a bit more. And he, you know, he talked about that kind of big picture, right? That, um, you know, how they missed on some open nets because, you know, they're trying to wind up, right? So just get the puck off your stick and get it to the net. Yeah. And you're right. It wasn't 0 for 6, but it was one opportunity in a 2-1 game with six minutes to play, yeah. and it was there for them, and they didn't cash in. All right, uh, the big story, obviously, all day was Archie Baines. Would he play? Uh, who would come out? Well, we learned uh, during the warm-up, uh, he did the solo lap, so we knew that much. It turned out that Sam Lafferty was the healthy scratch to make room for him. Uh, we've dissected his night, gone through the numbers here. Let's hear from Archdeep Baines, the 23-year-old from Surrey, living his dream, was asked about the emotions of the solo lap before the warm-up and ultimately as uh, the game unfolded. Yeah, it was really special. I think I almost uh, kind of forgot to hit the pucks on the ice when I went out there. So that's how kind of, kind of you know, I was just in awe being out there. So it was really special. How about the first shift and then maybe managing the nerves? Did you talk to anyone on the bench? Yeah, I think everybody kind of came up to me and gave me some, you know, some some words. And throughout the game, they were really positive with me. So it was it was a great experience, and, and the team really helped me through. Well, there you go. Archie Baines has uh, now played in the National Hockey League, uh, pretty low key. Uh, obviously, you want to be part of a win, and hopefully that will come before too long. But uh, you know, nobody can take this experience away from him. And uh, years from now, I think he's going to remember that he held his own, matched up against Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr. So you know, that's just kind of a, a cool layer to this story for him that he saw a steady, steady diet of two of the best players in the National Hockey League all night long. First of all, we got to work on his interview skills, right? Uh, you <laughs> <Yes>. know, he, <laughs> he's not Philip Roenick, bottom of the barrel right now, but we, we got to work on him a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was cool, you know, just that his dad was emotional and, you know, and what it meant to him and how special it was and almost forgetting to knock the pucks off the boards and, you know, and all of that. So it, it's great. I'm sure for him, he's thrilled he got the first one out of the way. In my opinion, uh, and, and I think you share this, he showed enough to continue to play. Be- just given the options the Canucks currently have, he's shown enough to continue to play and preferably play in that third uh, third line spot. And and maybe he can give them something there, right? So uh, I, I think the best is yet to come. And I think if this guy gets a little bit of time over the next couple of weeks, look, we know Dakota Joshua is coming soon. He was skating the other night uh, with the... Uh, uh, I think it was, was it yesterday or was it the day before? But they, I know Murph was showing some video. Yeah, of it was out before, the game in, out before the game in Minnesota. Yeah, so look, and I know it's the mentor skate and all of that. So it's not like he was wiring the puck and, and taking slap shots, but it's not going to be that long. I mean, we, they might get him back in a couple of weeks. And at that point, uh, Baines is going to have to go down. But hopefully, I, I really believe there's a level for him uh, to get to here that I think he can reach uh, if he continues in that role on that third line and, and gets those opportunities. All the postgame audio brought to you by Mr. Lube, and we appreciate their uh, partnership here on Rinkwide. Let's get into the three stars. The three stars selected in the building by somebody named Grace Moss of the Nederland Youth Hockey Association. Right. Who knew that they were letting people from youth hockey make the three star selections, but apparently that's the way they go in Denver. Uh, Ryan Johansson is the first star, Alexander Gorgiev, uh, second star, and they've got JT Miller as the third star, and, and all of those played a role in this hockey game without a doubt. Uh, I've got Georgiev at the top, just uh, again, against a Canucks team that has firepower. Uh, it wasn't always pretty. There were some scrambles. They got pucks close. Niels Hoaglander had that, and it was a high stick, but oh, yeah. uh, he tipped that one past him. But ultimately, Georgiev did his job, kept the Canucks to the one goal that they got when they opened the scoring. So 30th win of the year, he matches that Trudemko there. I've got him as the first star. I've got Ryan Johansson. Pride of Port Moody is the second star with his two-goal performance. And I went with Thatcher Demko just because, uh, again, I, I think he exudes confidence. I think the team feeds off that. Casey DeSmith has struggled to deliver victories of late, and you could sort of see the difference there. And, you know, I do wonder in hindsight, like Minnesota pulled Phil Gustafson and went with the flower, and they were playing back-to-back. They played in Winnipeg tonight, and they went with Flurry. Like, I 
I get that they knew that this was a Thatcher Demko start, but I do wonder in hindsight, you know, could they have made a goalie switch at some point in Minnesota? To nah, try to- I think they did the right thing. I mean, this look, wh- whether you like it or not, like I would be doubly careful with Demko given the injuries. And I know he hasn't had one this year, but I, I just wouldn't go there when he gets that far out of his routine because he didn't, you know, um, in the morning, I would imagine he did spend some time uh, with Ian Clark shortly before that game. And it, it just takes your whole day kind of out of whack. Um, I would not have risked that at all. Just if it was a 7 p.m. game, I might you're like 7 p.m. local, yeah. you might feel a little differently about it. But with that early game and, and just how you get completely taken out of routine and how important that is to goaltenders wouldn't have touched that. Fair enough. And, I, and I've been banging the drum about them like watching his workload overall, so adding to it uh, coming off the bench cold. Well, we talked yeah, about the Chicago not. game when they were on the homestand as a game they should have gone with Casey to Smith, and they didn't, right? And, you know, given that, I, I just think that they when they had a, a rare opportunity by their standards to, to make the goalie change, I don't think you put him in. Fair enough. Uh, all right, so the three stars, so the rink-wide Vancouver three stars, Georgiev, Johansson, and I've got Thatcher Demko. And how about, how about Demko, like... You know, the, the second goal goes in off Ian Cole's glove. Um, yeah. One off Ian Cole's skate in Minnesota yesterday. Uh, we we got to get Ian Cole to stop doing an Alex Edler and trying <laughs> to play goalie here because it's not working. No, you're right. Uh, all right, lots still ahead here. Uh, we've got the stat that stands out. Uh, in fact, uh, we got a couple of stats that stand out uh, on this episode. We'll get to listener feedback, see what you had to think about this one, and a thought or two on what's next. And it is a matchup. It's the end of the road trip uh, down in Seattle against the Kraken on Thursday night. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. the Canucks fall in Colorado three straight losses gasp yes a three-game losing streak for the Vancouver Canucks first time this season Jeff and Farhan with you here Rinkwide Vancouver we're going to get to some listener feedback at our feedback channels at Rinkwide Van momentarily but we always have a stat that stands out and to me we cover this off in the opening segment but uh, I think it's the fact that just two shots on goal in four minutes of power play time uh, it's something they're going to have to look at because uh, Colorado, I know Colorado didn't score on the power play, but they generated nine shots in their uh, three power play opportunities. Uh, you got to get pucks to the net and more than just that jam play that uh, we saw on the on the power play late in the hockey game that didn't work for the Vancouver Canucks. So that's a stat that certainly stands out to me. Uh, they had opportunities, but only two shots in four minutes of power play time. The power play won for its last 24 uh, they got to get that sorted out and, and in a hurry. Let me throw one at you too. Just this team's dominance in the faceoff circle tonight. 63%, uh, 35 wins, 21 losses. And if you look at uh, JT Miller led the way 11 and five, Bluger and Lindholm were each nine and four. Um, they dominated the matchups on that side of it. And, it, you know, they, they didn't take advantage of the possessions that came with it, but um, pretty good performance in the circle. Yeah, and they won both of their power play faceoffs as well, which should mean, you know, instant possession right there, but that didn't translate into shots. But you're right, uh, uh, wild imbalance in the uh, faceoff statistics in the Canucks' favor. And Elias Lindholm, or Elias Lindholm, uh, you know, that's an area that uh, he's come as advertised. He's uh, a good faceoff guy, and uh, I'd have to go back and look at all of his game logs, but uh, winning 9 of 13 uh, might have been his best game as a Canuck so far in that one area. All right, uh, two our listeners, our loyal listeners, and boy, do we appreciate them. Uh, and it's great to see new people contributing. And I think we're going to see that more and more here as we work our way. Like, you can feel it uh, anecdotally around town. Like, there is a buzz. Even with a three-game losing streak, I think people recognize they're going to make the playoffs. Like, this three-game losing streak in years gone by, yeah, maybe three straight losses at this time of year would derail the dreams of the playoffs. They're making the playoffs. They're they're sitting on 80 points. Like, I was looking at it today. The teams that are just below the playoff bar in the West, they're on pace for like 86 points. So I, it could be one of those years where it takes something in the high 80s to make the playoffs and the Canucks are still sitting at 80 points despite the fact that they haven't uh, added to their total over the last three games. As we get into uh, the feedback channels here at Rinkwide Van, Dream says Sooner should be in for Lindholm on the power play. That being said, superior effort compared to yesterday with a tired team playing at altitude i'm not ready to abandon elias lindholm on that top unit well, uh, especially with his ability to win draws and, and from one side of the well, yeah. and give him possession right out of the gate yeah um look, he's a better finisher he's a better player than than pia Suter, who uh yeah again i thought that miller besser 
Suter line generated. Suter drew a penalty. Like, he had a decent night, but I'm not sure that I'm prepared to go down that road about replacing him on on power play. Travis says, considering it was back-to-back in high altitude, thought the Canucks played well, maybe our best face-off game, but bounces didn't go our way and the power play didn't have enough urgency. So he's covered off basically all of our talking <laughs> points uh, in one tweet. Lyle says, like Baines, fit in well with Bluger and Garland. Power play needs to go back to how they ran it early in the year always seems to be looking for fancy plays. I do wonder at some point, and you talked about early in the season with all the motion and the movement. The other thing like I just don't get is like when they had JT Miller attacking from that sort of left flank, mm-hmm. his downhill side, you know, he scores off the shot there. He was setting up Brock Besser at the net front, or he would swing it right across the, the slot to Elias Pettersson. And you can always go back to Quinn Hughes. Like, there's just so many options. And they had success when Miller was attacking from that downhill side. And I, I just don't get why they haven't. To me, that would feel like the default to, to go right back there. But something that they haven't, for whatever reason, and maybe they'll get there, but they haven't gone there, at least during this little funk that the power plays in. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, and I thought that it might open some doors to run the power play a little bit more through Pedersen. And look, ultimately, we do know that this thing operates through Quinn Hughes, but um, it, it hasn't opened up more for, for Pedersen at all, right? He hasn't been right. more dynamic. And I agree with you. I would put JT Miller back there. I think that was that was his best spot. Vanley Goodtakes says, what a fast, high-level game. And it was early yeah. on. There were no whistles back and forth. And I thought, uh-oh, uh, for back-to-back at altitude for the Canucks. I'm not sure that that was going to play uh, into their favor. And then Zadorov got hurt. And then Juleson blocked that shot with his arm. And I thought, like, oh, this is not going to go well. They're going to be down, you know, four defensemen. But fortunately, uh, Zadorov was able to get back in there. And Juleson, uh, man, like, uh, give that guy his credit. I mean, standing in there just eats pucks. I mean, there are, I, I see people making comparisons to Chris Tanev. His game's not quite at that level, but just in terms of being fearless and putting himself in harm's way on a regular basis, there is some elements of Chris Tanev's game in Noah Juleson, of course, both right-handed shots. You know me, I'm, Quads and I are like president and vice president of the Noah Juleson fan club. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think there's so much there. And, uh, you know, we're, we're only beginning to scratch the surface. This, this guy has... Chris Tanev potential, right? Like he can be that yeah, guy because yeah. look, like there there was a toughness and a simplicity and a intelligence to Chris Tanev's game. And I think Noah Juleson is, is capable of all of those things. You, you, it's not like Chris Tanev is a guy that is scoring 50 points a season, right? I mean, the expectations are different for a player of that ilk. And I think that in the next year or two, Noah Juleson can absolutely be that guy. He shows so many of those, of those strengths. You know, he, he's got to get a little more decisive when the puck's on his stick early, right? But um, like I said, I, I think that's just going to come with with confidence and comfort that he's the guy. And, you know, right now, he, I'm not saying he's looking over his shoulder because Carson Soucy isn't ready to come back anytime soon, but he knows he's going to be the next guy out or the first guy out, yep. right? But once he kind of establishes his role at this level and knows that he's not going to be an up-and-down guy, um, I think you're going to see the best in this player. Stu says the power play performance is really what's holding this team back from the next level. Haven't won a game from the power play being effective in 10 games. Now, they did win the first game out of the All-Star break in Carolina. Lindholm scored twice in the power play. They won 3-2. to two, And I would say that the power play uh, won them that hockey game. But it's hard to argue that since then, and that's kind of where this slump is in, you know, you get down to playoffs, there's going to be nights where you get a late power play, down a goal, you have to score. And and that's kind of the storyline in this one. And it's remarkable when I look through all of the uh, the feedback here in our, our, our feedback channels. Got to figure out the power play. Power play inability to generate anything. Power play looks even worse than bad. Lack of a power play. Power play fails us yet again. Like, that is the theme from the fans tonight. Well, like we said, the first one was bad. The second one, they had zone time, but that was about it. That's not what this level of talent should do. And, you know, we talked about a lot of things needing to go right for this club. The power play was going to be a big part of that. And right now that's hit a bit of a wall. And very quickly, like just just think about this, okay? Without the power play going, can this team function long-term? Number one. Number two, one third line forward has left the lineup and all of the sudden their depth is being tested. There were games they simply won with that third line. And for all the flowers we gave Archie Baines earlier, like he's not at Dakota Joshua's level yet. And all of a sudden they've lost him and it's going to test the depth throughout the lineup immediately. 
right? Well, and that's why I said, like, Hoaglander was a depth guy to start. Now he's playing in your top six. That's le- like, he was scoring from the bottom of the lineup, and he also, you knew what you were getting. Like, he was... Yeah, but know, even, when, energized- even when he got elevated... That yeah. third line was still able to operate at a high level. Like that didn't affect that. He went from the fourth line to the second line. Right. But his his absence on that fourth line now is so noticeable, sure. as we said. Like a guy hasn't nobody on the fourth line tonight. Yeah, 17 has goals. scored since Christmas. Yeah. So uh yeah, no, I agree with you that uh, like good for Archdeep Baines. And I think we both agree that he he looked all right. I've seen some people poking holes at the underlying numbers. Uh, you know, the course he wasn't great, but the shot share essentially was even. And I thought he did a lot of good things for a guy playing his NHL debut against that opponent. Well, Jared Bednar was doing what he could to get McKinnon's line out against them. We talked right. about it early on. Like, yeah. that's a tough so, thing to so, control. Like, for people that completely, I, I, I'm not going to, like, carve this kid in his NHL debut because his course he wasn't great. I think there was a lot of good in his game here. And ultimately, uh, yeah, the shot attempt for 15 to 9 at even strength in favor of the Avs, the actual shots on goal were 7-6. So it wasn't like they were getting pinned and buried. Unfortunately, he was on the ice for, for the first two Colorado goals. But still, a uh, dream come true for Archdeep Baines. He's played in the National Hockey League, and he will play more in the National Hockey League. And I hope that it... Uh, it's as soon as Thursday at Climate Pledge Arena. That's where the Canucks are next, trying to snap this three-game losing streak. And then, as you said, uh, Boston waiting in the wings for a Saturday afternoon. That's a 4 o'clock start, by the way, at Rogers Phil Arena. Phil Kessel's so debut. Don't just reserve uh, <laughs> those 4 o'clock starts for Toronto. Uh, the Boston Bruins get a 4 o'clock slot as well on Hockey Night in Canada. But uh, let's just wrap up with a thought or two. Uh, they haven't seen the Kraken since they played them twice in mid-November. Each team has won in the other team's building. Canucks had an impressive win coming off a loss in Denver and beat the Kraken 5-1. to one. Remember that night? It was like all the depth guys. Yeah. It was Teddy Bluger on a breakaway and Dakota Joshua and Mikheyev, I think, scored that night. And uh, I think that was the first Kuzmenko healthy scratch, if I'm not mistaken. Of course, uh, that ship has sailed, so uh, don't have to worry about uh, that storyline. But uh, do they bounce back? You know, you predicted that they'd get a single point somewhere. I guess uh, if they're going to get a single point, it has to be in Seattle on Thursday. Well, you know, and look, the Kraken are hungry, right? I mean, yeah. they they turned their season around. It's kind of leveled off since. They're they're four four and two in their last ten. Uh, they're but three the they're three points out of a playoff spot right now. Uh, St. Louis sitting at fifty five games. Seattle has the same number of games. And there's three points between them. There's also three teams or two teams between them. But they they are there. They they have a right to think that they're there still. And, um, you know, a, like a week ago, it was actually, uh, they were ninth. And I thought, wow, could you imagine if Vancouver and, and the Kraken actually got to play in a playoff series? Like, I so want that to happen because it means we can just right. drive to games, right? We don't have to fly yep. all the time. But, um, you know, yeah, they'll be hungry. It'll matter to them. Well, Rinkwide Vancouver is headed down to Climate Pledge. Uh, we'll come your way post-game uh, from the arena on Thursday night. So we'll take that nice. one in first hand. Yeah, looking forward to it. I've who's, not had the Who's the co-host? To, uh, it's a work in progress at this oh point. Goodness. But okay. uh, we'll have somebody. Uh, but I haven't, like, I got to travel for three years, saw most of the new buildings in the National Hockey League, but uh, I haven't been to a game in Seattle yet. Worked a lot of games in the Western Hockey League uh, back in the old Seattle Center and uh, at old uh, Key Arena. So I'm looking forward to seeing Climate Pledge and seeing the Canucks on the road here and hopefully see Archdeep Baines with my own two eyes on Thursday. And we will have uh, our next post-game podcast after that one. The Canucks and the Crack and the I-5 rivalry. But that's going to do it for this episode. 3-1, the Canucks fall in Denver for Farhan. This is Jeff. Again, thanks so much for listening to Rinkwide Vancouver.